0: Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Homegrown Horticulture Podcast. In this episode, we have J.D. Gunnell talking great trees for the front yard. Many trees get too big, and we don't realize that, and J.D. discusses great options that won't overwhelm your front yard. We'll also be talking with Dean Miner a Utah State University Extension agriculture agent who has taken up growing peanuts as a hobby. He successfully grows them and gets a really good harvest, and he'll describe what he does to do so. We will also talk about if we can plant in the middle of the summer. There's a misnomer that many people believe, thinking that they can't plant trees and shrubs and perennials in July and August, but that is not true. As long as you take care and water correctly, you can plant all summer long, and we'll discuss more of that. And finally, we have Utah State University Extension intern Annie Smith discussing a new recipe. She modified standard peshawari naan and used local tart cherries and almonds to bake a delicious recipe. I'm back with J.D. Gunnell talking trees. And in this segment, we would like to talk about trees that, for today's smaller yards, just do well you know a lot of times you know you, you grew up with those old shade trees but if you were on a fifth of an acre or a tenth of an acre of an acre it just doesn't work out and so there's a bigger and bigger need a greater need for smaller trees for the yard and jd you've selected five that you really like and found adaptable so let's go ahead and
1: get started okay well before we get going i just want to tell the listeners you know there's hundreds to choose from and if you ever want to look for specific characteristics of a tree, like flowering or fall color or tolerant of really poor soils, we have an app for that. It's the USU tree browser. You can download it on your phone. It's also a website. You can go and put in these different characteristics. It sorts through 245 different trees, and you can come out the end with, with a lot of selections. But just touching on the tip of the iceberg, my first go-to tree for small beautiful trees has got to be crab apples now when i say that half the half the people i talk to kind of wince
0: probably ready to run you out of town with pitchforks and
1: yeah because what they're associated with crab apples are the large messy fruits and and if that was all crab apples were i would i would not promote them but the new varieties and cultivars that are coming out to the nursery industry are what we call persistent fruited. The, the fruit's about the size of a pea, quarter inch, and it stays on the tree throughout the winter. And actually, one of my favorite things in the wintertime is to sit, have a cup of hot chocolate, and watch out the window as birds come and pluck that fruit off.
0: I've watched cedar waxwings, and I'm trying to remember what other species, but there's some crab apples in my neighborhood that it's amazing the diversity of birds that use them for winter forage. So it's
1: got great winter effect, but what we notice them most for is the spring flowers. Maytime, when they're all in full bloom. Now, in the Arboretum in Kaysville at the Botanical Center, I have over 35 different varieties of crab apples. And each one has their own individual shape, their own color of flower, and fruit color as well. And so there's a lot of benefit flower-wise of having crab apples. But that's not all crabapples will grow just about anywhere they're one of the most cold hardy plants that i know of and in my previous life when i planted trees for a living i would plant them in standing water and they would survive i would plant them and forget to water them and they would
0: survive so they're really a, a durable tree you know even slightly salty soils i remember that uh we provided J&J Nursery, provided um, a lot of landscape material for the Maverick offices off Redwood Road. And there's not a lot of trees that survive out in that area. But of the trees that did, the ones that looked beautiful were the different species of crabapple.
1: And for those people that are kind of anti any kind of fruit, there is fruitless varieties of crabapples. There's one called Spring Snow. has a bright white flower. It's actually one of my favorite. It's actually one of my wife's favorite trees, and so.
0: Hence, it's one of your
1: favorite trees. Yeah, that's right. It will be in my yard.
0: <laughs> um, I've actually the spring snow crab apples down at the Burger King coming dropping down out of Sardine Canyon. It was always fun watching those bloom, um, you know, consistently. And that's one of the coldest areas of the valley. You know, I would drive to or from, you know. Brigham city in the morning or night when it was really cold. And that little area would be minus 15 minus 20. Sometimes when Logan was zero, was just because it collects cold air and those spring snow crab apples, they're not even damaged by it. They just laugh it off. Yeah. They're a great tree. And there's a lot of
1: different varieties. Like I mentioned over 35 that I, that I personally have collected. And a lot of them are based on disease resistance because fire blight becomes an issue with any apple or pear or crab apple, and so a lot of the, the varieties I've chosen in the Arboretum are selected because they're a high tolerance for fire blight or resistance.
0: And one other new, mostly fruitless variety that I that a lot of garden centers in Utah County have been carrying is called Lee. Have you got that one in the Arboretum? I do. What do you think of it? I like it. It's, I mean, like I said, they're,
1: they're <laughs> crab apples are kind of like my kids. They eats a little bit different, but you love them in their own way.
0: Excellent. That's one I've seen being pushed more and more because it's got a little bit tighter canopy, not
1: quite as
2: wide,
0: almost columnar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's number two?
1: So number two, uh, we get we talk a lot about uh, waterwise in Utah, we're the second driest state, and one of the trees that does really well in dry locations would be a golden rain tree. Uh, The thing I like most about the golden rain tree is in July when everything's kind of spent. They've done their blossom. They're kind of they're kind of sitting there waiting for the heat of summer. That's when this tree actually kicks into gear and it blooms. Has panicles of of yellow flowers that dangle. Those flowers uh, turn into those kind of paper lantern, almost uh, Japanese lantern like seed pods. And so they're really pretty trees. They have a really nice fall color as well. Um, the ones the one downside to the, the golden rain tree is those seeds are viable. And so you can get some little baby rain trees at, at the bottom of the tree. But that's not a big issue. I just pluck them out.
0: Pluck them out, mow them off if they're in the lawn. The golden rain tree I have seen grown amongst junipers that maybe were watered once a month. And they seem to be perfectly happy. Yeah, they're a, they're a tough tree. And for a summer color, you can't beat it. You can't. Uh, they, they look a little forlorn in a pot. I think that's when they're at the garden center. That's one of the reasons I think they're not more common. But hopefully through education, people can be a little bit patient and let them grow for a few years because they develop into a beautiful tree.
1: Yeah, they do. It would probably be uh, a tatarian maple. They're a smaller maple, and this is one where the plant breeders have had a lot of fun naming different varieties and cultivars. Uh, some of my favorites are Rugged Charm. It's kind of a rangy uh, head on it. There's one called Pattern Perfect. Has a little bit more tidy, a little bit smaller head. And these, when I say smaller, th- these are 15. 20-foot trees. But don't they have, for a small tree, don't they have a fairly fast growth rate? They do. They're actually fairly quick. My favorite cultivar, hands down, would have to be hot wings. Uh, these trees have the, the you know how maples have the helicopters. Technically, they're called samaras. These samaras on these trees are bright, bright red. And so July, again, when things are looking drab, it almost looks like these small maples are in full bloom with bright red flowers, but it's just these seeds hanging on the tree. They are very drought tolerant as well, but they they tolerate a lot of different
0: soil conditions. They seem to, and aren't they better, more resistant to iron chlorosis, or better able to uptake iron out of the soil as compared to many other maples?
1: Yes, they are. And the the tree that they're very similar sized with is an amur maple, and amur maples are, in my opinion, a horrible choice
0: they the only time i it's one in a hundred i see that's pretty they really struggle with iron chlorosis and iron deficiency in our soils so if someone asks for tatarian maple are they going to know what the nursery employees know what you're talking about
1: yeah the good thing with uh homeowners and, and people going into nurseries and asking for things is it it really stirs curiosity and so I would say maybe five, 10 years ago, Tatarian maples weren't very common, but now you can go down and find them just about any nursery. And it's from people asking for them.
0: Yeah. And they're one that I've grown on a limited basis. I've seen them in several locations up at BYU, and they're really quite pretty trees. And among the maples, there's some I don't recommend, many I don't recommend, but this is one that I actually agree with you here. They're definitely in my top five to plant that are underused but readily available.
1: So another one that I have to highlight just to stay married would be the saucer magnolia. Uh, This is one that my wife fell in love with when we visited the South. And it is a Southern tree, so you wouldn't think it would do very good here, but they grow great. They're cold hardy uh, to a zone, hardiness zone four. Uh, They have the really big pink flowers, almost the size of my hand. And they'll, one of the earliest blooming trees out there, which can be a problem It's almost like an apricot, where they bloom so early. If we have a cold snap, those flowers will freeze. So some years we don't get the
0: flowers, but most years you can, and they are spectacular when they bloom. When they're large, you know it takes a you know sometimes twenty or twenty-five years. But on a a larger, and I'm talking maybe a twenty to twenty-five foot tree, when they do go into blossom, there's really nothing more beautiful in the spring tree-wise. So they're very
1: fragrant. Uh, They are a bit slower growing. Uh, Most people grow them as a large shrub, not knowing that they're going to be tree size eventually. So keep that in mind with the the plant tag. When it says it's going to get 25 feet, it will. Just give it time and space.
0: Uh, That's one of the most disappointing things to me when I see a home was something like that and it's tucked into a corner that'll accommodate a shrub five feet wide and they've planted a 25 foot tree that is going to have to be pulled out because it's just too big and they've got this beautiful potentially beautiful shrub or tree as the case may be there is another magnolia that is smaller
1: uh, called a star magnolia it it has a white flower versus a pink but it's smaller. It's about 10 to 12 feet in size. And it is actually even more cold hardy and more adapted than the the saucer magnolia is.
0: That's one that I think people should also plant more is that both of them? Those magnolias and there are several hybrids that are very pretty too. But you know, the one thing I think that I guess I'm playing the devil's advocate here, but they tend to be a little more expensive up front in the garden centers. You see a five gallon or a number five pot, you might pay thirty to fifty dollars for it. But it's one of those trees or shrubs that will be around in fifty years. They, yeah. they don't. They're disease resistant and they have longevity.
1: Now, like I said, I had to talk about this one because of my wife. Uh, she told me in no uncertain terms if you're any kind of a horticulturist you will have one of these in your forever house and coming to cache valley i was a little worried uh we have one on campus though that that does great it is a little bit protected next to a building so to avoid the early bloom that can sometimes happen on the south or west side of a building i actually tucked my magnolia on the north side of my house where it stays cooler longer it'll bloom out a little bit later and i think we're going to have success and a happy marriage
0: i think you will i you know i i know you've got a little bit of elevation on your home but i seen i've seen them in wellsville and hiram on a limited basis and especially downtown logan which is probably a little warmer but i i think they do fine just like they do on the wasatch front and it's more a factor of the early frost and not cold hardiness that seems to get them
1: so another maple I wanted to highlight, I know you're not big on Norway maples, and, and neither am I, just because I think they're overplanted, much like a flowering pear is. But there is one that if you're going to have kind of a showpiece or a a focal point of a tree in your yard, a paperbark maple is something to consider. This is a smaller maple. Uh, the one in the arboretum is it, probably— It's not a Norway either. No, it's not. <laughs> Um, But the paperbark maple, the one we have in the Arboretum, is about 25 feet both ways, width and height. And it's one of the largest ones I've ever seen. It has a really smooth cinnamon-colored bark that exfoliates or peels. So even in the wintertime, it is stunning against snow. But before the snow comes in the fall, it has a fire engine red fall color. And so the leaves are awesome it's a little bit late to color up so it has to be kind of a long fall but when they color up they
0: are they'll, they'll stop traffic they're they're gorgeous there's actually several of them around my office in Provo and they're actually planted in fairly shady areas and I think that and I can't confirm this they may be a little more shade tolerant than given credit and but you are absolutely right when those things color up they're gorgeous but even in the middle of the summer they're The bark and just the whole form of the tree, that's one that I would put in my yard in a second. They're a a
1: winner in my book. The only downside to them that I can think of is how slow they grow. So you are going to pay a lot of money for a nursery to have grown it for as long as they have to get any size to it. But be patient. And, And the thing that I like to tell people is when you're planting a tree... You're doing it for your grandkids you're doing it for the next generation you can enjoy it while it's there but the true enjoyment and the true size and magnificence of these trees happens decades and decades later
0: well jd it looks like we're coming to the end of our time we're very grateful for you sitting down with us and for the insights you gave us and we hope you have a great week thank you again
2: So, Dean, what motivated you to grow peanuts? I've got a lot of gardening experience, but I'm not really a great gardener. I've typically just grown sweet corn, potatoes, onions, green beans, a few tomatoes, some squash. And I just wanted to try something different. So this was one that you had never grown before, I'm assuming. I had never seen a real peanut plant
0: So up in Logan, I had some master gardeners and others grow peanuts at a community garden, and I was surprised that they ripened in Logan, and I have not really grown them or played with them since. When I say grown them, this is outsourced, of course, but we ordered some peanuts last spring, and so we took them home, and when did you plant them? It would have been uh, about
2: the 10th of May. And how long do you think it took to germinate? 10 days, uh, two weeks. I remember looking anxiously for something that came up, and they were a little bit tough to pick out. They look like young alfalfa plants when they first germinate. Coming from the agriculture world, that doesn't
0: surprise me because alfalfa is a legume like the peanuts. You said they germinated
2: in two bunches? I had uh, oh, probably 10 or so plants come up I planted three rows, about 15, 16 feet long, and about the within two or three days of, of when the first ones came up, I had about 10 plants that came up. But then I went probably another 10 days, maybe in two weeks before any more came up, and I got a second flush of, again, about nine or 10 plants. We were trying to decide why they germinated differently and really couldn't come to any conclusions, but... I don't think it would have been water. I I used drip irrigation on them uh, about every four or five days. And they were all, the lengths of the rows were all well irrigated. Uh, planting depth could have been a reason that uh, some came up later. As I recall, I did shell the peanuts before I planted them, so it wouldn't have been anything to do with the uh, uh, difficulty in in breaking through the shells. I I think I ended up right around 50% or a little less. So you watched the plants and watered them through the summer. Did you do anything in particular to care for them? Uh, No, I I probably did a better job of weeding these particular plants. Uh, The ones we got were spread flat, no more than six or eight inches tall. And then as they spread out, virtually just crawling on the soil. And so I wanted to make sure I didn't get weeds up in between those uh, uh, spreading branches. And then I, probably wasn't a good thing, but I, I, from my reading, I knew that these plants would send down pegs, I think they call them, that the peanuts would actually grow from. So I kept picking up the Branches to see if any pegs were coming out, and probably uprooted several pegs along the line that I didn't, hadn't noticed until, I got the, until it finally dawned on me, if I keep doing that, I'm never going to get any, and was much more careful after that, and it was really fun. It was a, it was a uh, uh, milestone to be on my hands and knees and seeing the pegs as on, going back into the soil as they spread. So no special fertilizer, just average garden care? Uh, Probably a tad below average. So uh, there's certainly room for improvement if, if you're a good gardener. But I guess my point is if you want to try something that's fun and different, go ahead and get some peanuts and put them out there. You don't need to be an expert gardener to get them to come up. From what I understand, they seem to be very easy as far as care once they're in the ground. Yeah, the the weed control was the only issue I even worried about. There was no insect pressure on them, no diseases, just the weed control is the only thing I had concern about. So you let them grow through the summer, and at what point did you harvest them? We had a nice long summer, and I knew they'd want as many growing days as I could give them, so it was early October. And what were the results? The plants that first germinated—they had s- spread to where they'd have a diameter probably close to three feet. Went and bought me a digging fork so I could dig them up. And I was fortunate when I did harvest; the soil was pretty moist, so it was really easy to dig in and get them out. And as I started to harvest, I, w- I was really pleased as I dug up my f- my first plants that. There were dozens of pods, just fun to dig them up and see the the uh, uh, the edible part underground. Not really a root, but it was just, just fun. It's there. I, I know that you
0: had saved a few plants to harvest for me to come over and look. And when
2: I dug those, they, they came out of the ground very easily. Yeah, they really did. You just uh, just kind of worked your way around one side of the plant, kind of lifted, just plunge and lift, and they they really did come out, and and uh, I did a pretty good job, and I don't think I left more than three or four peanuts into the whole part in the soil. They they adhered to the plants very well, came out. Uh, I kind of kept track. I. I one plant, I think my record-setting plant, was 192 pods on it. Of course, there were several others, especially those that came up a couple of weeks later that only had 10 or 12. But uh, it wouldn't take very many of those good growing ones to really have a lot of fun with it. No, and that equated to around 5 pounds, you said? I think I got about a good 5 pounds. I I actually counted I ended up with 692 pods. So with around 50
0: seeds you put in... And that's a pretty good yield and I think that equated to about a quarter of a pound of seed peanuts that we ordered in the spring. You tried
2: to roast these and do some different things with them. Can you describe how that went? Well, before I get to that part, I just want to say that I was so excited that I started inviting the neighbors over to to see this marvelous uh garden creation in my backyard. And uh, they didn't all come over, but some that did thought it was really fun. I mean, it's a it's a good experience for for young kids, you know, on that eight to twelve year old range to see something completely different, and uh, they were really fascinated to to see the harvesting process. And so I did get them. I, uh, I had them dry on the plants for a few days, then uh, took the uh, pods off. Uh, I sent some down to a uh, friend of mine in well, one of the other county agents in Moab who was raised in Georgia and really loved boiled peanuts. He did say it was an acquired taste, but I wanted to see if these peanuts were good enough to boil and get the same kind of of output that he had expected.
0: Well, I've boiled peanuts. I've lived in Georgia for a while, and you can buy them in the can at Walmart. At least I've seen them in the past,
2: and they are an acquired taste, but I I really enjoy them. Well, this friend was, is aware of the ability to buy cans of boiled peanuts, but would not sully his hands with, with canned products, so the I guess it's the freshness or the process or whatever it is, but I wasn't interested in that. But I did want to uh, to roast some and see what I could come up with. So I uh, most of the online recommendations were to to soak them in some oil and then spread them out on a on a pan in the oven and roast them fifteen eighteen minutes. I think it was about three hundred fifty degrees or so. I had uh, well some good results. Some of the sizes of the peanuts were a little bit uneven. If I had any that were particularly small, they kind of burnt in that amount of time. I I could take peanuts from the same pod, and some would be crunchy and just perfect, and the other peanut from the same pod would be soft, so I'd, I don't know all of the nuances of cooking. Uh, a little bit of an oily taste that way. So I finally ended up just shelling the peanuts, spreading them out on a sheet on some tin foil and spraying them with a the cooking spray and then roasting them and that seemed to give me the best most consistent results
0: and they tasted good i'm imagining yeah,
2: i'd roast them and then salt them and
0: i ate them all that's all good I, I look forward to next year because you're expanding the project
2: yes i'm really anxious i saved oh, uh, twenty five 25 or 30 that i want to put in and then uh Try some others and, and, and maybe look at just a little more controlled on um, uh, observations on what, what's working and what isn't. And So to
0: grow these, and we should have mentioned this before, the technique is actually very similar to growing potatoes. Mm-hmm. And so if you've grown potatoes, you can grow peanuts. And if you have the kind of soil then you know both of them require about the same kind of texture to where you need to be able to dig in things but they're
2: really just not hard no just uh uh, i think it's eight or ten inches apart you put a i i think i only put a couple of two or three seeds in each of mine some might recommend more and then thin i didn't have enough seed to want to thin anything i just wanted and come up and and that worked well for me like i say it, it wasn't precision gardening uh and i i expect to do better this year but it was a really fun experience just to go out and give it a shot well thank you is there anything else you would like to add no it's just really if you want to do something different that you can involve uh the whole family especially you know kids in that uh six to twelve kind of because It'll be different than anything they're used to. If, they're, if they like to go out and help you in the garden, this may get them to come out and, and help you look.
0: For the question of the week, we have been getting a lot of calls about if you can plant landscape plants, so trees, shrubs, or perennials during the middle of the summer and the answer is yes you can plant during the middle of the summer landscapers and others plant all summer long and have very good success but there are a few tips and tricks to be aware of to ensure that what you plant survives now the first thing is when you go to the garden center you've got to get the plants home And if you are transporting them yourself, it's critical that you minimize the amount of wind whipping the trees and shrubs or perennials. And so minimally, I would transport them in the back of a pickup truck or the back of a trailer. And you put the trees toward the front of the trailer and then tip them back so that the wind doesn't tip them as you're trying to drive down the road and you're not slapping telephone poles and things all the way to your house. So be aware that they do need to be tipped over. You can stretch a tarp over them if you want, but you've got to be careful with that because a lot of times tarps will whip in the wind and as they bounce up and down and up and down, they will tear a lot of the leaves off of the trees and may allow wind under there that could cause some wind scourge. And so if you have access to a covered van or a covered trailer, That is a great way to transport trees and shrubs in the middle of the summer, so long as it doesn't get too hot in there and they're not left in there too long. Once you have the plants home, take them out of the truck or trailer or whatever you transplanted them in and place them in a shaded area, maybe on the north or east side of a building or under another shade tree. When they're in the shaded area, consider watering them so that they can replace any water they lost in transport. Now the next critical thing in planting in the middle of the summer is digging an appropriate hole. You want to look at the bucket that the tree or shrub or perennial is in, and you want to dig your hole about as deep as the dirt in the bucket now you do need to make sure that the graft where the tree is grafted if you're planting a tree there will be a knot or a swelling just an inch or two above the soil level of the pot so right at the base of the trunk above the roots you'll look for that knot and you want to plant the tree so that it is above ground Especially if you're planting a large tree, I would consider using the shovel handle to measure the height of the root ball that you're planting and the depth of your hole. You do not want that hole too deep you're actually better off having it just slightly shallow. Once your shirt's sure deep enough, you want to have that hole six inches to a foot wider all the way around and maybe even 18 inches depending on your soil. This will give you some room to work and it will loosen the soil a little bit as far as putting it back in so that the tree's roots or the plant's roots will reach out and grow a little bit more quickly through that loosened soil. I'm often asked if you should include compost in the soil. It's not necessarily needed, but it doesn't hurt anything. So if you want to use some compost, about 25% by volume mixed into the soil that goes back into the hole around the tree. Now, once the tree is planted and you have soil in there, you want to use the back end of the shovel to tamp the soil down. Now, you don't want to do it super hard, but you need to make sure there's no air pockets around the sides of the tree. Once you've done that put a little more soil in and then you can build a small berm around the perimeter of the root ball that you just planted. Fill it up with water a couple of times so that water soaks to the bottom of the tree and give it a day or two to see if the soil settles. Now it's not needed to water the tree every day. That's actually the number one way we kill trees. What I recommend doing is checking it the next day, going out with a screwdriver or a small hand trowel along the side of the tree and see if the soil's wet. If it is, wait. Check it every day for three or four days and probably on the third or fourth day it'll start to get a little bit dry and then you can irrigate that tree deeply again. Now, if your tree is being hit by lawn sprinklers, which isn't ideal, then you still need to check, but if you're getting sufficient water from your lawn sprinklers, you will not need to use your hose to supplement water, but it has to be checked. So as long as you don't drown your tree through the summer and you don't let it get bone dry the tree will do fine it'll actually be happier in your soil longer term than what it would have been in the pod so yes you can plant all summer long and be just fine We are back with Utah State University intern Annie Smith, and she's been cooking again. What did you cook this time?
3: Uh, this week, I made some peshwari naan with some locally grown tart cherries.
0: So, what normally would, it, would have gone into this recipe of peshwari?
3: Usually, peshwari naan is made with raisins and desiccated coconut and flaked almonds, or some, sometimes pistachios. But I just switched out the raisins for. The tart cherries.
0: And so we use tart cherries because Utah is the second largest uh, state in the nation as far as the amount of tart cherries produced. Ours are sweeter and they are just delicious in a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so Peshawari Naan, what what country does that come from originally? I believe India. yeah, India or northern India, Pakistan ne- area. Yeah, those areas. And it's a flatbread. Yes. And so what did you do to prepare the dough?
3: It was super easy dough. It's just, um, I think it's two and a half cups of bread flour. I just use normal flour, um, some yeast, a little bit of salt, water, and then 150 milliliters of natural yogurt. I just use Greek yogurt, just mixed it all together and then let it rise for an hour and a half, two hours.
0: So what does 150 millil- milliliters translate to into cups?
3: Something, well, I don't know into cups, but the serving sizes that they sell, like a single serving size of Greek yogurt at grocery stores are usually 150 milliliters. And I just landed on that when I was looking through Harmons to find some. Okay. And so it's just a grape. single
0: serving container. Yeah. Okay. I Excellent. bet it's
3: about uh, three, four quarters of a cup or something like that.
0: That's all good. So you put the dough together and how long did you let it rise?
3: Hour and a half, two hours. Depends on how warm your house is or where you're setting the dough.
0: And then once you get the dough prepared, do you have to flatten it out and re-rise it? Or what's, after you've risen it, what's next?
3: I'm not a great baker, so I could have done it wrong, but I liked the end result. And what I did was um, I let the dough rise Prepared the filling, which was just the tart cherries, some desiccated coconut, and slivered almonds. Blended it up with a tiny bit of coconut milk just to make it more smooth. And then I got, I separated out the dough into six or seven pieces and rolled it out really flat. Put some filling on, halved it like an empanada, and then just rolled it out one more time to make it extra thin. And
0: So when you baked it, what did that involve?
3: Um, The one thing that's interesting about naan that I didn't know on my very first try was that you need to, um, you need to put the oven sheet in the oven beforehand to make it, to make sure that it's hot enough so that it'll start cooking the dough immediately. If you put it on a cold oven sheet, then it won't cook correctly, but stick it in seven, eight minutes. Well, I don't know, probably three or four minutes, flip it over four more minutes. Then it's done.
0: So you have a hot uh, baking sheet. You put the bread on there, bake it three or four minutes, flip it over, and then get it out. Is there a sign to know that it's done?
3: Um, it starts. You can start seeing the traditional like browning of the non like you see in non you get in restaurants. Like it'll start to have color in it, and then
0: you know it's time to get it out. So I got to eat some of this today, and it threw me off my diet, but that's okay. So I uh, tasted it and it, it was delicious. It, it did have a slightly different flavor than what you would get using grape raisins. And maybe it was just a little bit stronger, but it, it all in all, it was a really good flavor. And you said you ate it with tikka masala sauce?
3: Yeah, me and my family had some just store-bought tikka masala and we ate it with rice and that, and they all really liked it.
0: Good. So this is one that, how long did it take you with prep time and rising and everything?
3: Um, Two hours, maybe two hours. A lot of that was
0: just getting the dough to rise.
3: Yeah. And I was doing other stuff while that was happening. So
0: So not a lot of prep. Mm -hmm. And then how many servings do you feel like it made?
3: I'm a bad judge of serving size because I just ate whatever came out of the oven. But I don't know, 10 maybe? Yeah, depends. It
0: de- it probably it depends on how much you like it for yeah. just one serving. If it, you know, if it's me, but yeah. ten servings for others. No, yeah,
3: um, <laughs> it made seven seven of the like full half sizes of non easy, and I could have made them smaller, or bigger, depending on how much dough I rolled out.
0: So the recipe would be sufficient for a family of five or six, or five or six adults, yeah. and especially if you're eating other things. Yeah. Oh, excellent. It was another good recipe. We've used local produce and mm-hmm. support of the local economy. Now, one other thing we should mention is we use the almonds. You can theoretically grow those here, especially mm-hmm. in our bench areas. They do struggle a little bit sometimes. They can freeze, especially the blossoms. But it was one we could theoretically use.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: We did not use the... Um, hazelnuts because we couldn't find them Mm -hmm. and i was going to use hazelnuts because those are one of the easiest uh, nuts here to grow especially if you're doing american or hybrids Mm -hmm. but we just couldn't find them and so the next most local thing was the almonds because walnuts would have overwhelmed the flavor
3: yeah i think so too
0: well thank you very much Mm -hmm. it tasted great and we look forward to next week great (laughs) This podcast is a production of Utah State University Extension.